0: Good morning, everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the Proverbs, we're going to continue our series of lessons from the Proverbs, which we started last Sunday. The last time we looked in the Proverbs, um, we notice that we have Solomon taking the time inspired by God to write down uh, these messages to his, his beloved son in hopes that he would um, apply them to his life. Solomon had a lot to give. He learned in some of the most difficult ways um, the best things in life to learn. And he wanted, obviously, as any father would, to impart them uh, to his child, to his children, um, hoping that they would do things better, that they would not um, do things in the same way he had to do them so experimentally as we read in Ecclesiastes. And Proverbs are also important to us because God gave them to Solomon, and Solomon gave them to his son, and God gives them to us. And he wants us to read them. And he wants us to know that these are wisdom not just for Solomon or for his son, but for everybody who would care to listen to them, to hear them. He says this is about knowing wisdom. And uh, that's an incredibly powerful thing to have. And if you can imagine living life to the very fullest living life completely to the fullest in spite of the temptations that we have to endure, in spite of the, the setbacks that we have, the sins and the consequences of any of those things, in spite of all of those, we can live life to the fullest. And that's what, his, what, what Solomon is telling his son. And by extension, he's telling us. Now, this is not an impossibility. Uh, life is going to be filled with temptation, setbacks, sins, the consequences, again, that go with all of those. But it is not impossible to live life to its fullest. And so we left off with Solomon's demand there in the first part of the Proverbs, verse 7 particularly, that um, the fear of the Lord is where that knowledge begins. And so, understanding that, we're going to move further into um, into Proverbs there, starting in verse eight. Now, I ask uh, that this be homework for you, <laughs> and so uh, I ask that you read the rest of the first chapter of Proverbs uh, during the week. And I um, and I'm <coughs> hopeful that you did that, and. When we're looking at this, the rest of this chapter, I think we would do well to remember what James writes. And so if you go with me to James in the New Testament, just real quick, and we did an entire study on James. Well, I don't know how long ago it was now. Um, But we looked at James in the New Testament, and and one of the most fascinating things that he teaches, I believe, is right there in chapter 3. Uh, in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, spiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, Is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. (laughs) Isn't that exactly what James, uh, what Solomon is talking about here? That there are going to be these two ways, these two paths. One shows the wisdom that is from above, And one shows the wisdom that is not. And so when we look at this, again, this homework that I gave, um, I want us to focus on that. And the reason I ask you to read ahead in Proverbs is really so you can help me, (laughs) to tell you the truth. Uh, I want you to remember, if you read something and you find it especially important, um, my wife does this all the time, you know, she read ahead and she told me uh, what I shared with you uh, last Sunday evening. If you were here, um, I mentioned something she said, and I will repeat that again because I think it's terribly important. But if you would text me or email me your thoughts, uh, that serves really well to enhance what I'm doing and to enhance the sermons as they're preached, and I love to write that down. I don't want to miss anything, and 20 heads are better than one, and so forth and so on. So uh, please be sure to do that. But as we look at this passage here, the rest of chapter 1, I want us to notice that, that Solomon focuses on our associations and the associations that his sons would be a part of. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, where we just finished studying, uh, in, the, in the letter of Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, Paul says that this is still, by the time of the New Testament, terribly important. So why would it change now? It wouldn't at all. It's still terribly important that we consider all of our associations. And so when we read there, uh, Paul is saying, isn't he, that that bad communications corrupt good morals. Bad companions uh, just produce this negativity and this evil and things like that. Um, There was an ant on my glasses, sorry about that. But uh, that's what happens. And so Solomon is very similar, speaking about companions and associations as well. And so I'm thinking about his son when I was reading this, and how could you not be popular if you were Rehoboam? You know, I I think to myself, if you are the son of Solomon, and he is king over all Israel... Everybody's going to want you in their group. Everybody's going to want you at their parties. Everybody's going to want you uh, in their social climate. That they are in because that, that lends itself uh, to greater uh, potentiality for anything, for notoriety, for fame, whatever the case may be. And so Solomon is telling his son, who probably would be popular just because he was the prince, that they're going to be those who are enticing. And that's an interesting word. They're always going to be enticing others who are constantly going to desire him to be with them. And they're going to offer in, and it's not like they know, they don't understand he's the prince. It's not like they don't understand that. They're going to offer camaraderie and they're going to offer extension of wealth. And this is very interesting to me. I find this Uh, to be a a passage that just is incredible. He says that they say in verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. And most of the time we don't think about, well, of course you want one purse. I'm Prince of Israel. I have a bigger purse than all of you. We don't think that way. When we're young, we tend to be enticed, right? Even by other things. And I think that Solomon does a good job of of highlighting that because it's not uncommon for those who are are wealthy uh, for those who might even be popular in school or whatever form cool may take uh, in a particular social group or not to be the kind of person that sought out to be representative of this of this clique or this group or even as we see in our generations the subgroups that can happen uh, within communities as well. And so this isn't just talking about a particular group, but certainly the implication seems evident here and applies as well. And and just because we might tend to be outcasts socially or might tend to be what people would call wallflowers or something like that, well, those are groups too. And this doesn't change based on their, on whatever group you identify with, or whatever group wants to identify with you. And so again, Solomon is teaching a very powerful lesson for each and every one of us. Whether we were the cool kid, the nerd, the you know whatever you want to call yourself in school, it's very important that we understand the challenges are extremely similar, and the message that Proverbs gives here is timeless. Notice that such association requires some terrible things, though. And when we think about temptation, and when we think about sin, and we think about uh, the consequences of those things, and the setbacks, and the struggles, and the all of the challenges that we are given in life, and the way we respond to them, I don't think we often think about it as much as Solomon is, is pointing to it here. He says that this association this identification with those who are wrong, who are worldly, who are unwise, who are sinful, ungodly. He says that association actually requires the exploitation of the weak. And I think that is something that I don't think <laughs> about quite often, and I think that uh, that we tend to overlook that easily. We often forget <clears throat> that sin is always an an, an exploitation activity. When you sin, you are exploiting someone. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 6 and 18, Paul talks to the Corinthians about sins that are uh, without the body. You remember that? The sins that are without the body, and and then there are sins that you do against your own body, he says. And I think that's important for us to understand here. Sin is always something destructive that we do to ourselves where we actually uh, exploit our weaknesses ourselves and allow our own weaknesses to be exploited. Or sin is something that we do to exploit the sins of others. It's amazing how we will justify um, the things that we will do, you know, regardless of the exploitation that goes on there. And Solomon identifies this particularly as murderous activity and as thievery. But, but sin, and we have to remember this, sin maintains this element that we pridefully disregard maybe because we're not killing anybody and we're not stealing from anybody. Uh, one of the most uh, laughable scenes I've ever seen is in a, a Western uh, where somebody is told that, uh, that the gambling that they're doing is, is the wrong kind of gambling. And there's right kind of gambling, and there's incorrect kind of gambling. And the one in being engaged in what is called the wrong kind of gambling, he says, well, it's not like I hold a gun to their head and make them go in there. And the other guy says, that's kind of funny, you can talk yourself into anything, can't you? And you can. You can actually talk yourself into anything, no matter what. What it is, if you want to do it, if it is a sinful activity, a prideful, selfish activity or not, goes by the wayside. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Sin, and you're you're acting on it, is always going to be this. It's an act of surrendering. And this is what Solomon is, is implying here. You're surrendering your own life. You know, I've seen many young people go to jail for crimes that they commit. And one of the things that that breaks your heart is the fact that they go to jail for sometimes 20 years, 30 years. And you sit there, and I do, I sit there and I think to myself, 16 years old will be in jail for 30 years. When they get out, they'll be almost 50. They'll be almost my age when they get out. And you think that, and you follow that with, what are they going to do? You know, there's no way they can get an education. I guess they could, but that would take you know another decade or so. Would that be worth doing? Will they be able to get a job? Uh, would they be able to support themselves or a family? You know, that you know that you look at that and you think how dismal and how sad that outcome really is. And look at what he says in verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Look at what he says there. It takes away the life of its possess- of its possessors. We complain, don't we? And And probably rightfully so. I think we should have sympathy and compassion for such things. But we would complain that a misguided youth serving a sentence that impairs his lifetime is awful and it's unfair. And we might say, you know, there has to be some hope for rehabilitation or something to change them around. And surely... That would be the sympathetic and compassionate reaction. And I think it's it's right to feel that way. But the problem is, we're concerned too late. <laughs> and the problem is, they're concerned too late. These are feelings we're having after the fact, but rarely do we temper that concern with the fact that Solomon is saying here, ahead of time, a premeditated kind of act that he's giving to his son saying, look, think ahead. Have forethought here. Understand that every sin that you do is an act of exploitation, whether to yourself or someone on the outside. And if you can still do that sin in spite of that knowledge, don't be surprised by the consequences and the outcomes there. And you notice that, that Solomon in this passage is really extreme. You know, could you imagine being the, the father of Rehoboam and then just telling him, look, Rehoboam, I'm worried that you're going to grow up to be a murderer and a thief. Thanks, Dad. You know, I appreciate that. You know, It's such an extreme. And I looked at this and I read it and I thought, man, that is such an extreme. Certainly a king over Israel would uh, likely have such temptations. Regularly before his gaze. Uh, Grandpa killed a man, right, to have his wife. We remember David very easily. Uh, Might Solomon have done something like that? You know, I don't don't know. This is the thing is that you have this potentiality there, certainly. But no, why is Solomon being so extreme? And I can't help but come to the conclusion that that's just exactly the way it is. You know, we tell our kids, if I told you once, I told you a thousand times. We offer what's called hyperbolic statements all the time. Why is that? Because we want them to get the understanding in their heads that it shouldn't take you forever to get something down. It shouldn't take you forever to feel the necessity of something or the importance of something. And I think that may be why uh, Solomon is being so extreme here because he wants to teach a very useful argument. Sin, evil, no matter where it is on the spectrum of sin and evil, it's never worth the cost of participation. This wrong path is never the right path to go on. Never. And so he gives the extreme example. No sin is ever worth it. I don't know about you, but have you ever heard anybody say that? You know, what you did was wrong. Oh, I know. But it was worth it. I mean, that's that's an incredible response. You cheated on your wife. But you should have seen this girl, though. That doesn't make any sense. You got drunk as a skunk. Yeah, but it was 80-year-old scotch. You know, th- no, no, I'm sorry. This is not a good excuse. These, this does not make any sense. And Solomon is being very clear about this. It doesn't matter the the small evil or the small sin or the greater being violence and murder. It's never worth the cost of participation. And that's what we're seeing here. It's never worth it. And and yet many, a dark mind and a rebellious tongue and heart have uttered those exact words or something very much like it. Right? Right? And we see it all the time. And Solomon is saying, no, 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 this is the wrong path. And then he tells his son wisdom. He personifies wisdom. Wisdom is is a person. And this is what what Solomon does now. He turns wisdom into a figure, a, a maternal, parental figure. Because when you read what, what wisdom is saying, you read what God is saying, don't you? You look at those words through that, that passage and you might say to yourself, well, that sounds just like something God would say. You know? If you will turn at my reproof, I will pour out my spirit upon you. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, none would have my counsel and despised all my reproof. You see the words here. You know, Solomon is basically quoting God and then calling him wisdom and then personifying him. Just an amazing uh, communicative fact here uh, that he's doing this to, to make them understand, to make his son and all others who would read it, of course, understand exactly who God is and how he works. He says she cries out. Just like parents do, right? And just like children, we're within earshot and we return, we ignore the calls and we ignore the warnings. Isn't that just like parent to child? Somebody, you know, from the time of my youth, I always knew what my middle name was. We make a joke about that. I could be playing three blocks away. You know, we didn't have cell phones. You know, my mom didn't know the na- You know, the neighbors three blocks away, she didn't know their phone number. She didn't even know whose house I was at half the time because I never told her. <laughs> you know, and so I'd be gone, and all of a sudden in the distance, I would hear Joe Wayne. I had a, and then I was at the point of decision. I was like, okay, mom used my first and middle name problematic, I now either have to respond or I have to lie. Isn't it amazing? (laughs) And that's exactly what's going on here. I I may go home an hour later. My mom will go, I called for you. Where were you at? Oh, I must have been too far away to hear you, mom. Stinking little liar. You know, why do we do that? Because we're selfish and we want to do what we want to do. Otherwise, I would hear her call and then I would run like crazy to get there as soon as I could because I didn't want the speech or the whooping or whatever it was. One time it happened on a Wednesday night. And I heard Joe Wayne and I didn't put together that it was Wednesday night. I kept playing. My dad pulled up in the car. Everybody was in the car ready for church except for me. He rolls down the window and he goes, get in the car. He must have gone down every street looking for me. He knew I wouldn't go far. I wasn't that adventurous. But he knew I wouldn't go terribly far. But he probably went down every avenue to get me. I was in t-shirt and shorts. And let me tell you something. You didn't go to services in t-shirts and shorts. Okay, I don't know what that deal is today. But, golly, man, we just never did that. And I told him, Dad, I'm in a t-shirt and shorts. Get in the car. So I got in the car because I knew the third time I wouldn't be conscious. So I got in the car <laughs> and we drove to church and I was embarrassed the entire time. Got to church, we went to you know, Bible class and everything, all the stairs and everybody probably wondering if Alan Wright's youngest son had gone the way of the you know the devil and you know I don't know, whatever they were thinking. You know, and I'm sitting there in shorts and a t-shirt, embarrassed, out of my gourd, and I never did that again. And I remember, Dad didn't whoop me for that, and I was thinking he was going to slide off the belt and give me what for, but he didn't. And I got home and I swore to myself, I'll never do that again. I always remembered what Wednesday was. Now, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, well, those were negotiable sometimes, but I always remembered what Wednesday was. And it's just incredible. How we were just even though wisdom, this is what what Solomon is saying, wisdom is crying out. even though I could hear for three city blocks, I always knew that I had the option to ignore the call and lie <coughs> or respond. That's what Solomon is saying. Don't ignore the call of evil of, of, of wisdom. Don't ignore the call of wisdom. Don't choose evil over wisdom. This is what he's telling his son, and this is what he's telling us. And notice what what wisdom says and what God says there in verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? That's a good question. How long will it happen? And if you notice verse 9 there, if you go back just a bit to verse 9, or verse 8, Hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You know, the King James Version says chains. Chains. And that caught my wife, and I told you about that. She said, that's the way kids are. When he's talking about chains, he's talking about gold and beauty, bling, you know. He's, he's talking about treasure. But when a kid hears it, or when a fool hears it, they think of chain. <sighs> and I got a chain around my neck sticking me to the ground, and I can't move out of it. That's what That's what wise instruction and what the the call of wisdom from parents is regarded as. And isn't that true? Whenever we're young, that's really the way we look at things. He says, no, these are not chains holding you down and binding you so you can't move. These are adornments. These are things that will make you more comely. That will make you more attractive. And all you have to do is heed them. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful language. And notice that ignoring wisdom is just like this. It's just like wishing you had insurance after you failed to purchase it. It always comes around. We'll always learn it. It's just it's just too late because you gave no forethought to the potential for calamity. My My sons and my family say to me that I do this far too well. I always talk about the potential for calamity. Like, hey, did you lock the door? Why? Do you think you're safe if the door is locked? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, here goes dad again. No, you should lock the door, but don't think you're safe. I always tell them anybody with the motivation and the resources can get in your house within three seconds, no matter how many locks there are on the door. Be cautious, be thoughtful, don't think you're safe. <laughs> Probably scared them to death from the time they were very young, but the fact of the matter is, this is a way of thinking that can get us into a false lullus, into a false sense of security. Hey, I got you know. I always tell my wife, put the iron doors on. We we may not have iron screens on our house. I'm about to lose my mind, you know. I like those extra locks. And then I go to bed and I pull the covers up and I'm still nervous. <laughs> you know they can still get in. I got to be watchful. Got to be careful. It's weird, but it's really true. This is a mindset. And so Solomon is saying, look, wisdom is, is is like this. You know, refusing wisdom is like wishing you had insurance whenever it's too late. You didn't bother to purchase it. You didn't bother to think about it. Uh, if you go back with me to Proverbs uh, or right there to Proverbs 24 where we're at rather to Proverbs 1, through 33 notice, look at what he says I have called you and you refuse to listen I stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you've ignored my counsel and would not have none of my reproof look at what he says wisdom says I will laugh at your calamity I will mock when terror strikes you when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. You know, people always say, You should never say I told you so. Why not? God does. You know, God says, you know, you when you when you come to calamity, when you ignore my reproof, when terror strikes you, I'm gonna laugh. I'm gonna mock you. Isn't that incredible? I mean, why should I feel any kind of sympathy for you when you ignored everything I said? Now, I have had this speech with my sons a thousand times. Why do you want me to have sympathy for you when you totally ignored what I told you in the first place? Now, there have been times that I didn't warn them ahead of time and they got into some kind of calamity. And I go, okay, that's an experience. They didn't know that but many more has been the time that I have told them ahead of time and they went ahead and did it anyway. And I just sit there and go, "Mm -hmm. see how that works? See, and this is that old saying, life is what happens when you're planning for your future. That's an important thing to remember. All of your plans, all of my plans, all the things that we uh, try to look for and try to plan ahead for, that, that's good and everything, but we have to remember what kind of plans those are, and we have to classify what kind of plans those are. Are they sinful plans? Okay. Are they plans based on our own desires, our own will, our own selfish wants? Is that the kind of plans that we're making? Because Those are the wrong kinds of plans. Those are the plans, as Solomon says, that steal your life away. That require your very life. So what do we do instead? We plan to fill our lives with biblical knowledge. We study, we pray. You know why? Because life is going to blindside you. And it's going to blindside you again and again and again. Because that is exactly the way that life is. Ask anyone with the experience of years. Ask the older members here. Can I ask you a question? In your lifetime, even though you plan and I consider you a very knowledgeable and wise person, have you ever been blindsided by anything? They'll giggle. Oh, you betcha. Yeah, life hits you right from the side you were not looking. There is no exception. I have heard millions of times it feels like since I was a child, I had no idea that this was going to happen. I did not expect this. You know, you hear that all the time. Solomon is saying, it's not that that's wrong or anything, but it has to be tempered. If I'm going to say, I didn't expect this to happen, then I should have it tempered with the Lord is my shepherd. I should find joy to glorify God, as James says, in spite of all the things that I'm going through. And in spite of the fact that I got blindsided. Solomon is saying, if we don't do that, the consequences will be devastating. It's like talking to a family member after a car wreck. You know, Dad, I wrecked the car. Are you okay? Because the car doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're okay. That's the idea here. All that matters is that the Lord is my shepherd. Fear the Lord. Make him the priority plan because if I don't, And if you don't, then whatever consequences that come from just the regular blind sighting of life is going to be infinitely more devastating than it would have been otherwise. It's a terribly important lesson to learn, isn't it? Let's look uh, a little farther from what our homework was. And I'd like to read with you the first ten verses of um, Proverbs 2. Solomon says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Notice what's going on there. Remember we said last time, Solomon is talking about proper posture before God. And I mentioned, you know, when we see today things like study and prayer and things, they look maybe different than they did back then. Back in those days to study, you would go into a quiet room and, and open the scriptures and, or open what you had anyway, the, the papers that you had, the scrolls, whatever it was. Or you would hear the teacher and write down, if you were literate, what you were hearing. And you would learn it and you would teach it to your household and you'd teach it to others. And this was constantly, some, this was your posture of life. If you were praying, we mentioned that before. You know, today you see people praying. It looks different for everybody. But when they prayed back then, they were flat of their face on the ground praying. Complete uh, obeisance to God. And before God, they understood that. And so Solomon is now again noticing that posture to learn that Solomon requires of his son and God requires of us. Look at what he says. Listen. Treasure it up incline your heart, call out, seek it, then you will understand. We hear the same thing in the New Testament. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Pray without ceasing. Care for the brethren. Work as you know how to work. Because Hebrews says God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Isn't that what we see and what we read all throughout the Scriptures? Have you ever met a know-it-all? <laughs> you know, you may have friends, you may uh, have family members, you may know other brethren that act like a know-it-all. Solomon says you don't know it all. No matter how much you try, no matter how hard you study, no matter how much you pray, you'll never know it all because God has an has an infinite amount of treasure to give to you. And notice what he says there. I mean, it's just incredible. Search for it as hidden treasures. How many times have you sat and watched a four-hour-long thing? I was amazed by this one day. We were watching The Curse of Oak Island or something like that. And it was it must have been three or four shows in a row. And I realized we were sitting there for like three hours watching to see if they were going to dig up dirt again. And I sat there and I thought to myself, we'll sit and watch for three hours hoping they find gold. But we would never sit and read our Bible for three hours straight, would we? I mean, that's a, that's an enlightening event. And uh, we don't watch Oak Island anymore. <laughs> you know? But I mean, they might now and again, but I just thought to myself, wow, what, what a useless pastime. Not that watching TV is terrible or anything. Everybody has their shows and they like them. I understand. But all that time? You know, we live in the age where you binge watch. You've heard that, right? We've got to binge watch. We'll record everything and watch all 10,000 of our favorite TV series in a weekend. And we lose sleep and we can't get up and, you know, things like that. But that Bible remains closed by our lampstand or, or on the shelf or something like that. What a terrible testament to what Solomon is talking about exactly in this very passage. Because he says, we never arrive at knowledge. We keep seeking it. He has no arrival language here. Seek it, incline, call (laughs) out, find. He has no arrival language. All work language. We never arrive, we keep seeking. Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 8-14, through that that's what he does. He presses on to the high calling right in Christ. This one thing he does, puts all the things behind them and moves forward to that one goal. That's all he is. Because he understood, just like Solomon understood, work is not about work. Wisdom is not about work in the present tense. Is in the present tense, not the past tense. Sorry, I can't even read my own notes. But that's what it's about. It's never about what we've done And it's never about the potential for work either. Whoa, what I could do. How many times have you heard people say that? Boy, I wish I was retired because I could serve the Lord more. Then they get retired and they're twice as lazy. They didn't mean what they said, did they? Of course not. Because that's not what it's about. Wisdom is about work right now in the present sense. And the case in point to remember is that church is never where we get all of our knowledge. People say, can you assure that your children will grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Oh yeah, I take them to church class every Sunday. That's not enough. That's great, but it's not enough. Oh, I know, I make them show up Wednesday night too. Okay, that's great. (laughs) Not blowing that away, but that's not enough. From the time of old, God has told us, when you wake up, when you sit, at leisure, when you go to sleep, any time anytime that you have the opportunity, search, know, understand, strive always to examine ourselves so that we can see which path of these two that Solomon is talking about that we're actually walking on. What more do we do? What else do we do? How much more knowledge are we working to get? How much more purification of our mind and our life are we striving for? What are we pressing forward for? Is it for a better check? A better way of life? Uh, maybe, you know, a better car? Swimming pool? Something? Just remember that, that Solomon is saying, while we're doing all of that, Wisdom is crying in the streets. She's crying out like that, that wonderful, caring parent who's calling out a caution or a warning. Don't stay out in the world too long. As I, as I got older, I wished I could hear my mom yell, Joe Wayne, one more time. Because I realized she was saying, you've been out in the world too long. It's time to come back home. And I never thought that when I was a kid. (laughs) I thought she was infringing on my personal rights. But we have to remember these things. We have to see ourselves. Seek wisdom. And if you seek wisdom, you will be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Because that's what the Scriptures teach. That's what God has required. That's what He promises His blessings will flow through. And we can know that and we can have that. And if you are a Christian, then no, that is your state before God. You are living your life, blindsided sometimes, blessed most of the time. But you are living your life and wisdom is calling out to each and every one of us. How will we respond? The lesson is yours and it is mine while we stand and while we sing.